1: Ladies
0: and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm your host Andy Johnson, and today I'm joined by the illustrious golf writer, um, part-time golf course architect Jeff Shackelford. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Andy. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, how are you recovering from uh, such a, <laughs> a entertaining, packed weekend of golf? You know, all these events played at the same time on different
1: networks what were you watching i I was going back and forth and uh and and bemoaning the fact that they were all ending at the same time and uh muttering things about how we need more west coast venues and tournament golf uh, because i do that in general Mm -hmm. um but also because it helps spread out finishes so i uh you know, they weren't the greatest golf tournaments in the history of the world, but I, when you see a Danielle Kang and that kind of a great story and, and emotional story, you kind of would like to be sitting there just savoring that one and, and, uh, and enjoying it. And then, uh, you know, the senior open, it's, it's a, you never know what's going to happen, in a USGA event like that. I'd kind of like to have savored the finish that uh, there. And then, you know, anything, at TPC, uh, whatever it's called, Avenel Potomac. <laughs> Something or other uh they've changed it there is it is it Potomac Potomac at Avenel Farms, I think is the full name, but anyway, yeah. it' it's, weird things happen there, and it was kind of a wacky wacky uh finish down the stretch with some some oddball uh, characters which I like and so yeah, one of them should have been finished today, and this is just a problem golf has with uh with scheduling. There's a lot of stuff out there and and the uh the groups don't always. Uh, see eye to eye on uh, on when to finish these things, and then we end up with something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice if they had had uh, tournament action over Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, essentially gotten four days of weekend action, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, So, you know, a question I've always wondered uh, is how did you kind of get into golf course architecture? Obviously, you know, it's something you wrote a ton about early in your career,
1: and uh, just was curious about that. Well, um, from a pretty young age, I was interested in drawing golf holes for some unknown reason, like a lot of people. Um, and then I uh, was very lucky in that my uh, dad uh, was a uh, took me on a lot of trips when he was announcing college basketball, and uh, even back when he was with the Lakers, I, I even went on a couple trips uh, then. But. Um, when he went to work for American golf corporation and acquisitions, uh, we, we traveled to a lot of places and saw a a lot of uh, rundown uh, uh, munis that they were looking to try and acquire. And then we also played some good golf courses in those areas. So that, that got my interest going. And then obviously he joined Riviera when I was 16 and, and, and then uh, had George Thomas's book. So that combination of, getting to see that and uh, study George Thomas's writings was really important as well and then uh, and then things kind of went to another level when when they did the restoration project uh, and I was kind of near the end of my my time in college and uh, uh, losing interest in playing and fascinated by what that course had been and I started kind of doing research on my own and uh started showing some of that to to ben and uh, bill and to jim mcphillamy the superintendent at the time there who was running the, the job and unfortunately i was finding things that they didn't know about or they had suspected existed but had no documentation of and and so their project in uh 1993 was more of a uh it was it was a restoration of the evolved course if that makes sense and so um that was kind of, uh, that, that, that was fun. And then I got to know them and, and learn from, from them and Dave Axelon and Dan Proctor, the shapers. And, um, so it was just a combination of things that, that happened and, uh, but it's always been something I've been, uh, just, just naturally, uh, drawn to.
0: It, it's interesting. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Riviera later. Um, uh, you know, curious, since you've done a lot of research on it and I know you know, everybody that watches Golf Channel knows you love the way the water moves off the golf course. Um, but if you were going to do one kind of thing, like if, if say they hired you to do a restoration tomorrow and a kind of long-range plan, what would be the first thing that you do to that golf course?
1: Probably reclaim the look of the Barranca and uh, try and get that, what what you see in the old photos of a sandy... Sandy wash through the course and then uh, up up the 13th hole on the left side and down the middle of the eighth and down the right of the seventh. I mean, I, that was the thing at, at uh, L.A. Country Club that 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 I uh, bent Gil's ear about over and over again, and he was of course he was in agreement. Um, and we uh, we had to get the Barranca back because there's just nothing like that that element of a golf course you can do great bunkers you can have great strategy and beautiful green complexes and this and that and restore whole locations but if you don't have that that kind of uh, uh the, the the color the texture the 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 all the elements the coolness that a, a sandy brink of brings because there's really nothing quite like them in terms of hazards and in golf and it's kind of a something that's unique to Southern California to have these Sandy washes that you can go and hit a recovery shot from. And they, they function. They're part of the, the the way the golf course plays in the wintertime, et cetera, et cetera. And, and mostly just the look. And so that's where Riviera has just become kind of a, it's a two color golf course. It's green and it's got white bunker sand and trees and it's, it's, um, it's lost a certain visual, um, uh, Identity. intrigue yeah
0: yeah it's a it's interesting i i you know you think about riviera and it you know being there you know it, it's definitely a site that wasn't blessed with a lot i mean it's a, a canyon no there's a small no, it's awful, really yeah like a, you know when you talk about the great golf course in the world it, it's got to be one of the best with one of the worst sites you know in, in your opinion it you know is it you know, one of the three or four most architecturally sound golf courses?
1: Uh, Not as much now. It still is, but they've, they've just taken so many, so many great subtleties and, and cool elements of it out either, either just through ignorance or um, uh, just not really understanding it. And so, Uh, I just feel like when you see where so many other golf courses have gone in the restoration movement we've seen and Riviera has gone backwards that it's, it's really fallen far behind. And I never would have said that. I mean, growing up there, if I match played it, I think you and I may have discussed this, but if I match played it against LA North, it always won two and one, three and two handily. And that was me being charitable. Um, thinking I had a home course uh, homerism thing going, and now I, it's the other way around. La La uh, breezes to a, an easy two and one, three and two victory, depending on my mood. Uh, and it's just uh, there's just too many weak elements. I, I think the thing that stands out for me there is uh, when the University of Texas guys were going there for the NCAA's. Their their coaches asked uh, my dad and I about local knowledge and things we they should be on the lookout for and I it was sad I went through it and and I there was really only one great sucker pin left they had kind of taken some of the angles out with the green enlargements where the course used to have several great hole locations that you would just think oh I can go with that and the way the bunkers were angled it was idiotic and they they they've, they've eliminated those and it's it's little it's little stuff like that when you take that out of a strategic course and a course that had evolved in a certain way that i think is uh is unfortunate
0: yeah i uh i mean it's it is interesting how you know they you know everybody's doing this restoration thing and you know it's seeming seemingly everybody's coming out winners from it but you know they have you know more money and you know ability to do you know restoration more so than almost any club in the in the country and yet they have they haven't really done a true restoration
1: no no it's unfortunate and they uh they had every opportunity to and many people tried to guide them there but they uh they don't want to do that and i've heard they're now now again looking at trying to put water in the branka again so you're <laughs> kind of the, the polar opposite of what i would i would do there so it's it's a it's a helpless uh it's a helpless cause sadly
0: um. So you know, maybe we'll go to a little bit uh you know brighter subject. We'll stay in the LA area. And I you know you you and Gil uh, completed your work at uh, LACC South course earlier this uh this year. And uh, you know I'm I'm just kind of curious about you know the project you know what the goal was and you know now that you've had a few months how how the how's the member feedback been?
1: Well, it was the second course there. Uh, architecturally, uh, as as long as I've been alive and for a long, long time. And it was it was uh, but the course that got more play and it was probably 60 percent there and 40 percent on the north. Well, after the north was redone, the combination of the the better grass and and conditioning for most people and then obviously the better architecture for for certain players there uh, made the north just much more popular. And it it, it shifted the other way to 60 percent of the play there and maybe even 70%. And so the goal was to get the South back to where people wanted to play it. And then there were some issues with a neighboring building that, that has yet to be built, but will be built eventually uh, between the Beverly Hilton and the, and the South course that was going to, in our insane world, put the club in a a bad spot where, where, uh, even though it's been there 120 years, that uh, tee shots that would, would go into that new building, would uh would be would be the problem of the club so they needed to us to to reroute some holes on that end of the course and it turned into a uh an open canvas really once we showed them that rerouting and uh the decision was made well if we're going to do this let's do it right that's kind of how they are there and, and it's uh, just a great club that way and so we uh yeah i got to spend a lot of time trying to come up with uh different routing scenarios and Gil uh, would, would chime in and we, I, we and Russ Myers, the superintendent would, and it was the most difficult thing I've ever worked on because we had to keep the holes basically on the perimeter playing the same way uh, in terms of tee shots. So that if we started sending balls onto streets or into houses that, that had not gotten those before, we would have been in trouble and, and nobody wanted that. So, it was great fun, but it was, I mean, it was incredible how many phone calls there'd be. Either uh, Gil would would have an idea, or and, and I'd have to go check it out, or Russ would have an idea, and we'd start talking through, and then we'd realize we had back-to-back par 3s, or we had par 69, or we had 19 holes, or we had 17 holes. It was insane. It was, it was fun. Um, and then one day, it finally kind of clicked. Uh, in one respect, I found a hole that I was excited about and uh and then but we still had one little problem and, and i remember the day very vividly and Gil, Gil, i think on a friday night was looking at something and figured something out and said would you go check this out and so i went out and on a saturday and and it was uh it was kind of fun i had just well it was weird i did the morning drive that morning and was defending ted bishop um uh, 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 who had been in a little scandal and i went over there and i I took pictures of where and called Gil and said, I think it works. It's a little uphill par three. And, um, and we finally had our 18 holes kind of pieced together. And so that hole, I am very, I really like. that's the one hole that in the member feedback is still, they're still on the fence about, um, it's a little short uphill par three with a pretty severe green. Um, but the feedback has been, uh, very positive. A couple of the par threes are, are, are uh, tough for them because the greens are new and firm, mm-hmm. and um but other than that the the feedback's been sensational it's done what we'd hoped it's gotten the playback over there, and good players love it and uh it's really a beautiful property, and it's a very different property than the north you're you're right it's like golf in central park, and so the contrast between the two is just incredible
0: yeah i I always like when clubs you know like as opposed to like Baltis where you have like just two you know courses that are going to beat you up day in, day out, where you have a little bit of a contrast where you have, you know, your U.S. Open Walker Cup course on the north course, and then you've got something that's a little bit, you know, more playable and, and, you know, member-friendly on the south course. So, you you know, you, you see, you know, the ability to, you know, really have two different golf experiences in one.
1: Yeah, and that was something that, you know, so when I hear some of the feedback that this hole's too hard or that's too hard you know that that we cringe at because we did want this to remain um fun and and a totally different vibe that that a good player could could go out uh with 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 not as good players and they could still have a fun game and for the most part i think that's been the case and when you have a new course and new greens that's just one of the things that that you have to ask for patience on but um it was really really a fun uh project to be a part of and to um to to to, to work in the middle of the city like that and to uh to try to do something that was different than the north but also didn't you know that was the other thing we had to deal with was do we want do we want to uh, just create a uh, because a smaller version of the north because you know captain Thomas had started developing plans for the south and redid the first green and it was a pretty zany uh, green with a bunker cut into it. And you're thinking, well, he was going to go pretty nuts with this golf course with short holes, and, and then he, uh, he passed away. So we, we tried to do some things on the course that were in the vein of what would George Thomas uh, do on a shorter version of a course like this, and what would Billy Bell, how would he construct it. But we also did some things that were that went against that. We we've toned down the bunkers a little bit uh and things like that to to make it um make it different but not make it uh I mean we even toyed with like do we do a Rainer style look and so they're totally different looking and we just felt like that was never going to ne- never going to look quite right so I feel like we found the right the right blend
0: Yeah I, I I so something I think is interesting about kind of your career so you start you know you're you're a golf writer and you know you write a lot about architecture and now you've you know kind of you know morphed into a a architect you know yourself um you know and i think a lot of people that are into architecture always think hey you know it'd be so cool to get to design your own own course what have you seen that is the toughest aspect of architecture that you didn't expect it now that you've been out in the field you know you know building golf courses
1: probably the the politics of it, the convincing whoever is in charge of the, the, the money and uh, of, of what you want to do and what they, they need to have done and, and what they have is uh, uh, in terms of a site or or an existing course. It's um, it's it's fairly relentless, and it's it's uh, in terms of the, the 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 campaigning and the effort you have to make to convince people that, uh, something would be good. And, um, I mean, that was the fun part at LA. It was not initially, it was a tough sell and, uh, we had a lot of opposition. Um, and then it was the opposite on the, on the South. We, we had very little opposition and it was almost, it was almost, uh, you know, Gil and I would look at each other. Uh, I guess nobody, nobody, uh, really is too worried about what we're going to do. So let's do it. And that was fun, uh, as well. But, it's uh, that's a tough part of the job. I think that part of the job's gotten slightly easier with the change in the last probably five to seven years of of people going into projects just being more aware of what what's good good design and what's sensible design, what's sustainable. Um, uh, uh, and and I think the biggest shift is the the finally we seem to be over for the most part, not always, but for the most part, the obsession with difficulty and people are, are asking architects more and more. They want, they want fun. And, and, uh, that's to me really, really encouraging for the game. It may be too late, but <laughs> you never know. But I think it's, I think it's been a great shift that you, you see that now with, uh, and you hear that with so many projects. Yeah. You know,
0: I, uh, curious, you know, when you got your start and started writing and, you know you're kind of in the dark ages of architecture you know did you did you just feel like a black sheep at all times
1: no 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 because there were other people um with the same uh mindset yeah i mean i got the 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 black sheep uh treatment when i started venturing into writing about distance mm-hmm. and uh i mean literally to the point where there were there were certain companies that were encouraging people not to use me uh for writing work um, and, and there were, uh, you know, essentially they were, they were threatened by that discussion. And, um, and I understood that that's, that's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a sensitive subject, but even that subject's starting to change now, uh, finally, it, it took a while, but, uh, but in terms of architecture, no, I think it was, there were enough quality people who were, uh, like-minded that that made me think okay yeah this is worth looking into and pursuing and and um the the people that i i uh, think are smart and uh, uh really like and who love the game are into this too and so that that never that part of it never felt um that uh, that that odd it was more of trying to convince people okay look at these photos we found wouldn't this be better and i think that that was the hard part. And I think the part that's changed now is with Photoshop, with Google Earth and all these different visual tricks, it is a lot easier to convince people um, of what something used to look like and, and how it would look, how that would be the better look now for a course.
0: Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, the biggest thing I see, you know, the place I play golf here in Chicago is just like, it's so overgrown, and then you look at the old photos, and and there's no trees anywhere, you know, and they, you know, they've planted thousands of trees, and, you know, I talk to members, and and they're like, you know, hey, those trees have been here forever, and I point to a picture in the clubhouse, and there's none there, (laughs) and it, it, you know... in. It just, it limits the amount of strategy when you don't have any width, obviously, you know, it, you, you see it even on tour, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts were on Aaron Hills and, you know, kind of the the course and, you know, how it played out, you know, I think it's a very polarizing topic in golf.
1: Polarizing in the, uh, you mean the post Aaron Hills uh, reaction is polarizing?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously people just get, I think people just get so hung up on par, but, you know, in my eyes, yeah, I, yeah, I looked it, at, at that course and I thought it delivered a really good championship. And we saw a variety that uh, on the leaderboard that we'd never seen before with, with different styles of play in a U.S. Open. And I, you know, I, I look at it and I attribute yeah. it to the width.
1: Yeah, I I am with you on that. You know, I, I didn't have I wouldn't say high hopes for that one uh, for Aaron Hills. And, and, and in part, you know, I look at not just the design, but also just the, um, how's it going to function as a venue? Is it going to have energy? And uh, is it going to be somewhat reasonable to get to? And so getting there actually worked really well. Um, The energy on site was great because the fans there are so passionate and, and it was a beautiful it was very much like an open championship especially sunday when it cooled off a little and the wind was blowing it was eerie how much it felt like a uh, an open uh in the UK um but but on television it was it was interesting that the reaction was well where were the people where was the energy and and it really i think was a learning experience for a lot of people to then go to Connecticut the next week where you had people right on top of the action and how that totally changed the energy for the person watching at home um, but then, of course, as you know, so many people seized on that, that winning score, and it was par 72. The greens were absolutely immaculate. The width was uh, sensational and I think necessary, based on what everybody tells me there um, on what happened on Saturday before the Open with the wind, that it, it, they have days there where if, if you don't have that width, they're, they're, they're just going to have a freak show out there. So it was unfortunate it rained. And that made the width play uh, uh, even more substantial than some people would like. But, um, you know, other than them not spotting the the overspray and the the high rough right off the edges um, and dealing with that sooner, uh, the place was immaculately presented. The architecture was way better than when I first went there Um, and way more interesting and, and uh, so I, I view it as a positive open, and 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 then we'll remember it as one, and and I think I think history will be kind to it as well. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to sit there and go, well, that was a that was a disaster. And and you know the other thing and is you know from a plane people just forget how awful the feeling is when a an open is a U.S. Open or any major or any golf tournament's tainted by course setup where you feel like it, it went too far and it cost somebody the championship for, for reasons that can't really be explained other than it went too far. So if you err a little bit on the other side, I'm sorry, but that's just infinitely better. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. I th- I think it allowed everybody to play their style game. I mean, like, yeah, I yeah. think, you know, like he, the short grass around the greens, even to extent allowed people that were great are great at short, uh, you know, at chipping and pitching the ball a you know, a place to showcase their skills because, you know, in a traditional U.S. Open, you know, you get in the 7-inch rough around the greens and no matter how great you are, you're probably not going to get up and down. But you saw Patrick Reed on, on Saturday put on a clinic and the whole day he was short-sighted.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, they manage those areas very carefully and I don't know how much that came through to uh, to people watching from afar but they, they had different mowing heights for some they were nervous they were nervous about a lot of things going into this open and rightfully so they did not want to have a bad week they didn't want to have a week with balls rolling up and down greens and so i think they they did the right thing airing the way they did and and got a very uh, a very uh, deserving champion
0: so uh do you think uh aaron hills you voting yes for another uh, another open
1: uh I think it would, I think it will probably get one, but I think it'll be a long time partially because they're so already locked into so many venues. Um, But uh, yeah, I think it will get another one. I don't know if it would be my, my uh, top choice, to be honest. There's just so many places that, I mean, when I look, when you look at where they're going the next uh, uh, eight venues and likely actually the next 10, if they, they go to some of the places we suspect, and there's just something about the places with history and and uh architecture and and uh stories that you you kind of uh love to hear and and great ways to remind people of the past and other tournaments that's just different than going to the new venues and i think that's my only issue with going to chambers and aaron hills the way they did that they only had one amateur and in aaron hill's case of public links and amateur public links and I think you just have to go places where you, you have to have more events on them before you you, uh, you 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 go there. In fact, I you know, L.A. Country Club, well, somebody will say, well, wait a second, they're going to get the U.S. Open, and all they're going to have is a Walker Cup, and and I think it's uh, after seeing what I saw at Aaron Hills, I I uh, I, I would like to see L.A. Country Club host uh, a couple, one or two uh, things like a U.S. Open sectional qualifying. Just get a few more. Th- things in there to just just see how good players play on a course because there's just it's very difficult as you know to envision what a course is going to play like with really good players on it until you get it kind of uh ramped up and and in tournament condition and get those players out there and uh and i think that that was something that hurt both chambers and and uh aaron hills especially because they're 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 more complicated golf courses and scale and Turf and location and, and all that, then and then people an course like like LA and people.
0: <laughs> you know, like yeah. getting people around the course. You know, the LeCC had the yeah. Pac- Pac-12s a couple of years ago, right? And I, 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 it I, I did. As I remember, it was, the feedback was really positive for that. Also,
1: no, it was amazing. It was so fun. You know, the first day uh, scoring was incredible, and because uh, they had it set up a little easier, and then it it just got. Tougher and tougher in a good way, and it was it was so much fun to watch, and it was so fascinating. I mean, the, my favorite uh, memory of that was on the uh, in the final round. Casey Martin was was going out on the 15th green when his player would get up on the tee and and directing them where to hit their shot to land it so that it would then spin down properly to the hole because the hole was playing 95 yards. It's a short mm-hmm. par three. The pin was up. They were playing the, the, basically the, the, the red tee box, and um, although the reds are now gone, but it's another color now. I think it's green. Um, but, and it was just fun to watch that the golf course get firm to the point where a where coach was, was watching what other guys were doing, was able to tell the players that, and uh, it was intense. I mean, it was really by the, la- the last round, it was an intense test of golf and, um, and, and just great fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it it's um uh, it's interesting with college golf how, how involved the coaches are with like you know, like that I went to the NTAAs this year and, and you know, for the it was kind of my first in person exposure, but I mean like they are like almost more involved than a caddy would be in in, you know, instructing these kids where to hit their shots, reading putts. I mean it it it's interesting how like they're able to you know, it, they're almost better than a caddy because they could go watch, you know, another team play a hole five holes before you get there.
1: Yeah. And that was, that was the interesting thing for me at the, the PAC 12s, uh, because there are coaches who don't do that. They have a very mm-hmm. simple style and they, they sit back. And then, uh, I noticed it though, on the NCAAs, on the telecast more than ever, uh, how many more coaches are getting out there and, and, uh, essentially caddying and, uh I think for the most part, that's a good thing for a player. But I, there were a few times where you were uh, like, coach, get off the green. Okay. You, You don't need to tend the flag and you don't need to shake your guy's hand before he shakes his opponent's hand at the end of the match, that kind of thing. That was, that was bothersome to me. So, uh, uh, and I noticed that it was interesting. Uh, some, some people, uh, at the golf channel also noticed it. And I think they must've gotten some feedback on it because, uh, um, it, 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 there is a there is a fine line there between being a coach and being out front and also just letting your players play and play their match.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's uh, you know eventually I, I I don't know I the way I play a game I I think I just I just have to go be myself. You know, it, it, like if I have somebody telling me exactly what to do, I'll probably just screw up. Um,
1: yeah. but No, there are a lot of people like that. That's that's why they're drawn to golf.
0: So. <laughs> What um what course would you like to see host major championships? Whether it's the PGA or the the U.S. Open that you don't that currently isn't hosting major
1: championship golf. Hmm. Oh boy, that's uh that's an interesting one. I mean, it's tough to say because of the way the the ball goes. There's, there, there are a lot of places that it would be great fun to see these guys play but they just can't it's just it would just be dumb to, to watch them try and play it um and 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 be tested in a way that was interesting you just would uh you know a cypress point or uh, uh something like that or fisher's island would be uh fascinating but we just won't get that i don't think be, until they do something about uh the distance and and that you know So those places still might not uh want them but i i guess if i had to vote uh, the one that would be the most interesting to 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 me to watch the great players play if they were playing a ball that was suited for the course would be the National Golf Links of America. Yeah, I think that would be that would be the one.
0: Mm-hmm. It's uh that's that's one that I I gotta go see here eventually. Um, in terms of you know I know you're 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 pretty passionate about the ball and and rolling back the ball and I I think I mean I don't know how I hit the ball further every year um you know if it's not the ball when i'm you know in not as good of shape and play less and less but seemingly i add five yards of distance every year but you know the ball's not going any further um what would you like to see you know like what do you think is the solution is it a pro ball and an amateur ball or you know and how does that work
1: i i really love I've always loved the idea of a classic course ball and, and branding it that way and calling it that. Um, and I think it's very similar to what, what Mike Davis floated this variable distance ball. Uh, what he floated, I think was a little more intricate in terms of potential ways the ball could go. And it may just be a political reason. They, they put that out there that you would, you could have a ball that actually goes longer, uh, for say women to play Aaron Hills or, uh, whatever it is. It's, uh, uh, bring certain courses within reason for, for lesser talented golfers. But I think that the, the main focus would be something that allows you to play, uh, to, that allows an elite golfer to go to Pine Valley and, and have Pine Valley play like it did 20 years ago. Um, and you know that's why I've always kind of liked the classic course concept because soft spikes really started at Riviera and a few other great old courses, and spread because they had that sort of endorsement of the the classic course element and that it was for the for the the, the good of the maintenance at those courses. And now look where we are, where where spikeless is, is all over the game. And I think that uh, having some of those courses, a Marion, a a cypress point a pine valley be able to be played and also turn in a score for handicapping purposes with a ball that is accounted for would be uh the way it started and 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 see where it goes but it, i think the architectural element is more interesting and then you know the pros it has to happen there's just no way i don't know how they're going to play some of these venues coming up on the u.s open circuit after what we saw at uh, aaron hills without a, a ball suited those weeks. And we'll have to listen to all the whining about, oh, it's so hard to adjust and how dare you do that. And it's, it's hogwash of course, because they just went down to the Mexico city where there's altitude and they all without their track man and they make some adjustments. And I mean, you talk about what a non-story that ended up being uh, because it's just so, it's never been easier to adjust your equipment and, and your uh, thinking on distance uh, with track man. And uh, with the knowledge you know the caddies are so good now, and they know so much and uh so so that element of say we had a class, a master's ball at augusta, and every company made it, and they made their uh they made the specs and and they tested them um yeah, it's a little bit of a pain, and yeah, there's gonna be a situation where somebody's gonna wonder if somebody's playing a a juiced ball, but I don't think that's gonna happen too much and uh I think it has to happen. I think it will happen. I really do. I think that uh, the, the the climate has changed, and people are kind of realizing that it's it's not growing the game uh, as we've been told it would. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I think I, I I played Chicago golf last week, and and something mm-hmm. I noticed is just like, you know, like the principal's nose bunker on double plateaus is completely useless now. I mean, yeah. where where yeah. it used to be something that people would have to work, like you hit a bad drive, and all of a sudden you have this bunker to contend with. Now it's almost more of a bunker off the tee than it was than it is for a second shot. And you see this, and, and it's like, wow, this is this great golf course where you have these be- this beautiful architecture with like Baritz holes and, and Redans, and it's, it's so rare to play a Redan actually the way a Redan should be played because the ball goes so high and you're hitting such short shots into this 200-yard hole. You know, and the same with a baritz; it's, it's almost impossible to run
1: the ball up to it. Well, and that's the biggest change since I've been bitching and moaning about distance, that when I started that, good players would always go, well, just put a tee back. Just do this. Just grow the rough. Narrow it. And, and you you know, I'd get pretty frustrated with that. And then it's just gradually changed where people no longer – and this is the exciting thing for to me is, is that you no longer have to convince somebody uh, that that those things are bad ideas. It's, people have come to realize. Wait a second, this we have this architectural treasure. Why would you why would you do these things to to it just because uh, because the ball and the equipment is so good now. And um, so I think that, that the, the the climate is out there that good players now no longer um feel like it's the job of the course to to um to to really adjust to the equipment and so that's a huge huge change and you hear it in players i hear it in people who go to pine valley like oh well that wasn't very hard and, you know you want to say well one the sand used to be all footprints and and death if you hit it in there and two um yeah the you know it's short you don't even have many drivers there anymore uh, unless you play a few of those silly new back tees and those are kind of kind of absurd but um so that to me is an exciting change the good players are now kind of on board like oh yeah i'm not really getting tested the way i i want to be tested and and it's not as fun
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so outside the ball like what do you think has been kind
0: of like the biggest tech technological advance that's kind of diminished skill in the game
1: oh the size of the driver head for sure and 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 that's one that that uh, you know adam scott feels very strongly about uh just reducing the size of the head a little bit and you'd see a, a big change in distance and also a reward for for uh the truly great drivers of the ball and i would love to see that i think i would love to see an event that that uh that does that just 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 limits the size of the head and let's look at the numbers and let's see how it plays and let's see if the, the, if, if it remains in line with who the best drivers are uh, driving the best that week, I think it would be fascinating. And uh, you know, things like that, we don't, we just don't do, you know, NASCAR has restrictor plates on cars for certain tracks. Why, Why don't we do that in golf where, where we, we have our version of restrictor plates so that the, the, uh, the 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 architecture can uh, can shine and and uh, the course doesn't have to make silly changes.
0: Yeah, I I love that idea. I think I mean, you see that the the change in the way people even swing and you know this new era of the young twenty somethings have grown up with these massive driver heads and their swings reflect it. Yeah. I mean they're swinging up on the ball and, and they really swing pretty much as hard as they can, knowing that. Hey my my miss yep. isn't really that big of a deal you know I remember playing like small 190 cc heads that if you mishit it I mean it was going nowhere and really far right or left oh.
1: oh yeah yeah it was cruel and I don't I don't want to go back to those days for 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 all of us and I don't even think that we're talking about a, a reduction in the driver head size that would be uh, even close to that but just just even a slight reduction which is what Adam Scott's mentioned would would make a huge difference 330 or somewhere in there and and that, but we won't know until we try it um so we need that to happen first
0: so um curious you know say say i gave you this like this great piece of land unlimited budget and and you could you could resurrect any architect dead or living you know, and, and you wanted to, you know, do a whole, you know, a course who, who would you have design your course?
1: Uh, probably, well, I'm obviously have a strong bias towards George Thomas and Billy Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would, it would, it would be them or it would be, uh, uh, McKenzie with, uh, Robert Hunter probably. I just, I feel like in terms of, uh, the whole package of design and artistry and, construction function and, and just, uh, uh beauty. And, that, uh, that th- those were the teams that, that, kind of, uh, took it to another level. And, uh, I, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I think Thomas was, was, uh, the master more than anybody at, at creating something that looked great the first time you saw it, but then had had enough intricacies within that uh, would make you want to play it over and over again, and, and his view was that that uh, era of golf architecture, what they did was just the beginning, and that we'd have more courses with the in- intricacies of the old course, uh, the day-to-day variety, and, and that and, and Mackenzie wrote that too, um, and that didn't happen. Obviously, we went we went backwards instead of uh, courses that were actually more. Uh, complicated in, in their design in, in a way that was uh, uh, fascinating and, and, in, and in line with what drew people to the old course uh, to begin with, which I think is fascinating that they they viewed it that way. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, but it, it, it's also. In, I mean, it makes sense. You would think they were they were because remember their view was well, we were just trying to get people away from a certain kind of bad design and, and unattractive looking courses and courses that didn't drain and, and look good. And so they, the logic would tell you, okay, we've got it back to this point, but now the next generation's going to go this way. Well, it turned out it, it went the opposite.
0: It's, it's interesting too, because like the you, you know, you, the architecture behind really great strategic holes is is really kind of simple. And it just seems like What happened was it got overdone, and the subtlety is what makes really intricate and great design, is is subtle little things, not 65 bunkers down the left side of a fairway.
1: Well, what's funny, too, is that with with, uh, better construction uh, machinery and more knowledge and more technology to do things... We actually went backwards in terms of the the, uh, the the attention to detail and creating those little intricacies that that would make it uh, better and and long term a, a golf course would have more permanence and um, you know I think their view was that the more you got that kind of technology to build a course uh, you, faster it would allow you to spend more time uh, working out. the 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 details and the little stuff that we love but it's gone the opposite way it's just people build it faster and crank it out and and move on to the next thing or they did and obviously we're shifting backwards now uh in that and corin crenshaw are really the ones who i mean pete Dye kind of kind of started it with with uh opening our eyes to lynx golf but then corin crenshaw have kind of taken it to the next level on the on the construction and uh subtlety side and and getting that that great mix of something that looks visually enticing, but then also has a uh, real charm when you, when you play it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so I know
0: you've written, uh, you've written a great book on Cyprus and uh, something I've been curious to ask you is, you know, obviously Rainer did the routing there and, you know, passed away. So, you know, then Mackenzie took over. What do you, what do you think the course and how do you think it would be compared to the course that's there now it had Rayner done that job
1: i yeah i I always struggle with the idea of his his uh, aesthetic working mm-hmm. on that land uh it just really just is hard to picture as much as I love uh his golf courses. I just don't know if that that's what would have worked there compared to what was built with the sort of fringy Uh, bunkers that that mimic the the shapes of the cypress trees and um, you know the routing changed quite a bit after he passed away it changed it changed from McKenzie's first routing Um, and that's all uh, stuff that that uh, they were they were bickering with uh, Samuel Morse about the, the 14th hole they wanted along the cliffs and and they had the 17 mile drive that ended up going there and that was kind of a late in the uh, game change and there were there were other changes so that's kind of my sense i i i'm glad it i'm not glad that seth Raynor died <laughs> when he died but uh for the sake of cypress point i think for that site it was the it, it what they ended up with was was the right uh style of architecture for that kind of ground yeah
0: i mean i i think one of my favorite you know pictures in all of golf is like the was it the 14th hole that goes down into the right and you see, you know, you see the water, but then the, the bunkers, how they just kind of creep up into the dunes. I mean, it's a natural look that's almost unparalleled on any other course in, in, in America, um, at least. Um, so, you know, in terms of, you know, so say, say you can have any, any course in America to restore, you know, it could be a public, it could be a private, you know, like, what course you know sticks out in your head as one that you would love to do a restoration or you know slash renovation of?
1: Uh, well, on the public side, obviously, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that something happens at Sharp Park. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm hopeful that uh, you know someday that something like Cobb's Creek will happen. That's that's another amazing site potentially. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, just just an incredible opportunity um, but I think if I I mean if there was one golf course I would love to see restored and when and would love to try to figure out how to do it would it, it would be Pebble Beach and getting it back to the 1929 uh, Chandler Egan post Chandler Egan redo look and I, I that's the one that the more people who see the photos of that and ask questions uh, the more I think it just gets so intriguing To to realize what it once what it had what it became when Egan redid it and and how it changed from that Um, I think it would just blow people away it would it would be incredible.
0: So you know I I think you know obviously one of the issues there is kind of the commercialization of Pebble Beach and you know yeah uh, yeah but you know I think with what Mike Kaiser and Corin Crenshaw are doing is is they're promoting. A rougher look is a good look, so you know I think you know i i would say, and personally, I think you know five ten years, it might not be that crazy to you know to foresee that being a viable option. would you agree
1: i agree, yeah, I think that that the the trend is such that they will uh i think you know rankings for don't have a lot of positive uh uses uh these days but but one thing that they are useful for is 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 uh highlighting a course kind of getting um left behind uh in a way in and, and the in the restoration uh world that we're seeing now that as you said earlier that, the, that there aren't i i can't name any of these where people did a, a pure restoration where uh people were really unhappy uh in fact i can't name one at all uh, <laughs> i, I can't so, either Uh, I'm sure there's something that, you know, I've heard like somebody, some people at Colonial don't like what Keith Foster did, although they liked it initially. So I, you know, I don't know. That one looks like he did a very nice job to me, but maybe more people hearkening back to wanting the Hogan era uh, look to it. And there were some things changing floods, whatever. But I mean, that, that's really, I think uh, getting desperate, trying to find an example. So I think that when you, look at that and the rankings and panelists rewarding places that do this and, and rewarding them, not because just because they did it, because they go there and they play and they, they go, wow, this is, this is so much fun, especially if they played it before. And, and that's something that, yeah, where Pebble beach could, could uh, succumb. It's just, as you know, that it's such a to close that course down and do that. And the economic impact on the course, the lodge, uh, and the, the 17 mile drive area would be, uh, pretty incredible it's a it's a, I, I, I think we were bored one day at the u.s open last time it was there and did the math a few people we were sitting around and coming up with some possible numbers i can't remember what they were but they were they were hefty on the impact to uh the region if they were to shut the course down for for nine months
0: you know just get a uh... Cypress point, point to open up to the public, right? That'll, that'll yeah, happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> not going to happen. Although you know, it really Samuel Morris developed it. It was part of the uh, it's part of the family. You know, yeah. maybe it, it, it could it could do that for a little while. They could charge two thousand dollar green fees, and they'd probably be booked immediately.
0: You know, uh, my my grandpa used to go out to there, and I guess they used to sell like these week passes to Cyprus, if you knew oh. a member or something so he'd he'd get yeah. it for like a week and and one time one of his buddies oh. one of his buddies came out and his buddy hadn't ever seen pebble so he he insisted that they go play and like you know till his deathbed it was one of my grandfather's like greatest regrets was was having to leave Cyprus to go play pebble for a day
1: yeah i can and i can understand that of course that's a nice problem to have because uh <laughs> Pebble Pebble even, and don't get me wrong, in this state, it's still a great um, experience. It's still great fun to play. There's still nothing quite like it.
0: So, uh, you know, one of the courses I'd love to see like a restoration of, and I'm sure you're pretty familiar with it it being from L.A., and I'd just love to hear your two cents, is Rancho Park.
1: Mm. Yeah, Rancho is more of a, a needing... Uh, just <laughs> and- needing some some care. Uh, not that the people who work there don't care. It's just that the city of LA has kind of neglected its its all of its courses and doesn't know uh, really what what to, what is what people want in terms of of uh, turf. You know, they think people want green grass, but then we've had our droughts, so they've cut the water back. And I mean, I hear uh, Rancho is so baked out. Uh, at times that it's just not, not, it's, it's, and it's not good firm. It's not links firm. It's this baked out rock hard thing that, that hurts when you hit a ball. And so it's a sensational golf course in terms of being a, a test of every shot, every stance and lie. And, um, and, and you have to move the ball and it's, it's, it's really fun that way. And the players always played there. I, I caddied in the senior tour event when it was there And the old guys who would play there are uh, the Trevinos. And uh, they used to get great fields at that event. Jack Nicholas never played. But, of course, Arnold Palmer had a great uh, relationship with Rancho Park and always played. And and Trevino and Player would play. And it was so much fun watching those guys hit shots around there. Billy Casper slinging these big – that was at the point where he was hitting a huge hook. And watching him – Play that golf course and, and shape shots, uh, and then watch somebody like Al Geiberger kind of uh, go around with his smooth tempo, or, or Dave Stockton grinding it out. And it, it, it really is a, an amazing place that you wish would be uh, would, would be just better, just a little better presented. And I think they've taken a hit. Interestingly, there it's not as crowded as it used to be. Of course, it used to be ridiculous. You couldn't mm-hmm. people would spend the night to get out there, and now you can go out on in any afternoon and get out pretty easily. And, and part of that's the state of golf. Part of it's the state of the way they, they uh, run it and present it. They don't have a pro shop. I mean, The, the vendors of all the pro shops in the city of LA have, uh, other than uh, I believe the barbers still at Griffith park have uh, walked away from their, their shops. They just, the city can't even make those work and make it work for them. So Unbelievable. it's uh, it's one of the reasons why I think people aren't very excited about the Olympic golf uh, when it comes here it 's like oh great we 're going to go to Riviera, and um, meanwhile, we have this public course system that 's kind of in shambles, and wouldn 't it be nice uh uh if we we could have this be uh nicer and uh or even maybe use something like Griffith Park for the for the games but we have, we are not there
0: have they picked uh have they picked Riviera as the site officially? Yeah,
1: they okay. did they did yeah. they were originally going to consider uh, a public course renovation. Uh, and they, when the IOC went in on the whole use existing venues thing, they gravitated towards Riviera and, and it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting because I don't sense a lot of good vibes from people that, that that's going to be something that gets people excited, especially if the format doesn't get more interesting fairly quickly, um, yeah. because it's a course we see every year. And, um, so we're just going to go play another stroke play event at Riviera. That's great. That's, that's not very exciting.
0: I mean, you think about the money they put into like the the Rio course. If you could put that into a course like Rancho Park, I mean, how good would that place yeah. be? It's...
1: Yeah, and there's just such a different vibe when you play a tournament uh, in the middle of the city at a course that the public can play. It, it is, I mean those those Champions Tour events. Well, it was a Senior Tour then at Rancho used to get huge crowds. I mean, amazing for LA, you know, 20, 25,000 people on the weekend. And granted, you know, you had Trevino and some others not long past their, their prime playing and Arnold Palmer, that's going to get people there. But the energy is just so different and it's, there's just nothing like it in tournament golf, but, um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's needs work.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I, I, I used to live when I lived, I lived in LA for six months in one of my, uh, one of my places was like right next to Rancho park. I could walk there I oh, was nice. at, and you know, yeah. I'd go out there at like five, six o'clock. Like, and, I mean, it, 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 it's got the bones of uh, such a good course. I, I, think about it all the oh, time. Yeah. It's like, you know, in terms of a, a city owned course, like bones and you know, it, it could be a really great golf course. So yeah, something I'll just keep hoping for, but it doesn't sound like it's a, it's a, got much of a chance. So, um, so I'm kind of, we'll get you out of here, you know, as so we got the holiday weekend, uh, we do, uh, our tradition is, uh, overrated, underrated. So we're going to, we're going to fire okay. some topics yeah. at you and you, you just say overrated,
1: underrated, um, the short par four. I actually have come to the conclusion it's it's underrated and, uh, for, for a couple of reasons, one, uh, we're just starting to see people design more and more of them that are better and doing different things strategically. And uh, by the way, am I supposed to give long answers in these? Are my no? <laughs> you can
0: do whatever you want. Yeah,
1: but I, I think the other thing that that besides the fact that we're just now starting to see all these cool uh, iterations of of holes and offshoots is that in the era of technology, the short par five has has kind of died as the great risk reward hole. And the short par four has kind of picked up the slack, and it's made, I think, people, more than anything that's gone on, the interest in short par fours in tournament golf in the last uh, 15, 20 years has raised awareness of what architecture means to tournament golf, what architecture means to everyday golf, and how fun uh, well-designed holes can be. And I think it's all, all the short par four maybe a few great risk reward par fives, but short par fours, everybody can enjoy the dynamics. You know, the, the average golfer can be playing a match with a better player and beat them on those holes because they play it nice and safe. And, and the, uh, the good player gets greedy, that kind of thing. And so I, I, uh, I can't get enough of them and I, I hope, uh, I hope it just keeps going and people keep demanding more of them on, on every course.
0: Yeah, I I really like it. I think uh, I think part of the issue, it, like, and it's obviously like a huge you know viewing standpoint. Like, there's like a you know a viewing appeal to it. Something that drives me nuts though is how people like don't appreciate long par fives. Like how it it, it like it has the stigma of like when they were out at Baltusrol and everybody was like all over the seventeenth hole for like oh it's so boring. It's like. That's like one of the greatest long par fives in golf, you know. And I think the short par guess, four has yeah. kind of led to that. And it's like, well, like you know, they're, they're great architecture isn't just you know. I don't know. I think they're almost overrated because they've become <clears> so, <throat> so popular. But that's just me being a think, contrarian.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting things that's happened though on the long par five, and I would I would agree with you uh, in the sense that. They have lost their luster because, you, in the technology era, you felt so much pressure on the tee shot and the second shot to hit two good shots yeah. to give you yourself that good third. And now you hear you hear this all the time. The guys will good players will tell you, well, it's just a hundred yard par three. We couldn't go for it, and so they forced us to basically play a hundred yard par three. And I don't disagree with that assessment when but it also, you know, helps when you can hit it three hundred and twenty yards and then you can hit a, a hybrid, you know, two seventy. Um, yeah, it's kinda it took seven hundred yards. Oh yeah, and by the way, we just had almost seven hundred yards at Aaron Hills with not much roll. And we still had guys get home and two. Yeah. So to actually build a long par five that does what you're you're getting at, which is put that uh importance on on every shot uh you really have to i think for good players have about 800 yards
0: it, it, it is, is kind of crazy yeah i mean yeah. well when you hit 380 rt shots it's uh or it needs to be like 700 there
1: that, and there wasn't that much roll that's what's scary it was and there wasn't that much wind it was just slightly downwind and a little bit of roll but nothing abnormal
0: maybe they need to go uh, uphill so that was that was nuts yeah, it's uh...
1: Uh, and oh yeah, by the way. Oh yeah, by the way. It, it basically is flat or the the last part of that 18th hole there and it's just is is a little slightly up. Uh, I mean, t- it, it, it the was the tee shot uh, was, was what down those guys though.
0: Tee shot was Yeah, down.
1: yeah, the t- the t- the tee shot is elevated. Correct. Yeah. It, but it, most I mean, of the road. Not, were not like you're driving off a cliff. It was it was incredible what they did there. When was, when a, when are... And what are people and by the way going to I heard nobody, to... and I heard nobody in the press tent going wow that's amazing it was like okay this is ridiculous this is absurd uh, and that that's a big change a few years ago if I had said and I was the one just sitting there going man eh, just nodding and I, I didn't have a strong view either way because I'm used to this the ridiculousness of this now but it was fascinating that was the, the takeaway. Uh, was not oh these guys are amazing athletes that is so awesome they did that on a 687 yard hole it was consistently okay enough enough's enough we yeah. have to do something
0: yeah it's uh it's out of control I played I played golf last year with a 14 year old who hit it like 15 yards past me I hit it like 300 yards and I was like when I was 14 <laughs> <laughs> literally uh, when I was 14 I hit it 200 yards yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I know it's insane, and they have no. Uh, the only thing I don't, you know, and I hate to, I hate to sound like an a, a old fuddy-duddy, but what where it does bother me is the game is no longer humbling these kids, uh, and and I think there is some positive element in the game. I don't want to go back to Hickories and being humbled by hitting a snap hook, one eighty, <laughs> and and the and or in the persimmon and steel. That, that, that's we don't need to do that, but. Um, it would be nice if they they had to swing just slightly more cautiously at the ball, but with Trackman and the equipment, the combination uh, it, you're just you're just going to keep seeing more uh, more more guys like uh, Champ from from uh, Texas A&M and who just are are freakishly long.
0: And I, I think it diminishes like the impact of like you know great long iron players, you know, because he, oh absolutely he, they're just. There's aren't any long irons anymore, you know long no. irons are no. you know an occasional par three and and pretty much you know par fives,
1: yeah yeah, so yeah no it's it's definitely a lost part of the game um so and, next... and and then by the way, at a lot of venues it's all the driver also gets taken out of their hands because of this, so um and to me that's a shame too I well, want to see uh the the driver used what what do you think about?
0: hosting a uh, tournament at like a 6,800 yard classic course that's like obviously if it rained at all you know we'd have to put a dome over it but that's like you know nice and crispy you know firm and fast where you know guys could go for the green but all of a sudden you know if you hit into the wrong spot you've got you know impossible angles and and so on so forth what do you think about a golf tournament
1: being played at something like that? It would be nice, but, you know, if, if you're okay with them hitting iron off most of the tees, which is where we're headed, um, I, and I don't, I'm not okay with that. I like to see the driver used and used to, to, to gain a reward, and that's the problem. That's where you need the ball that, that is better suited for those courses.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, so uh, next, next topic, we'll do uh, modern green design, overrated, underrated
1: uh well they're overrated and that most of them aren't very good so they're they're underrated and how bad they are so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and it's not all the architect's fault but i uh it, it's two things it's it's the one that the usga green or the or the modified usga green just very hard to construct and very high, hard to tie into the surrounds and and to kind of have the fairway just meld into the green i mean the best courses you feel like the green is almost just an extension of the contours of the of the ground in the fairway and i think that's why people respond to lynx golf so much because those that's exactly what they are so when you're playing this kind of nice gentle ground and then you come upon this thing that's sort of propped up artificially and over contoured it's it's uh it's it's offensive to me and most people's senses and a lot of it's the the construction of USGA green is just very hard to, to do that that's why Cor and Crenshaw don't build USGA greens they they dump a big area of sand where the green complex is and then and then meld it into the to the fairway and the surrounding landscape
0: yeah I, I think uh, I think one of the things that's happened with like the modern era of architecture where you know we've got this playability and we get all this width is that architects focus like Oh, I'm going to make this tough for the good player by making this green crazy undulated, you know. And yeah. then I, it's like but like to me, I think, you know, when you have that big undulation it's almost easier because you just you can see the break. You know, like it's very clear which way this putt breaks. And, you know, you see these classic courses, a lot of them, you get on the green and and there'll be these small little subtleties with the flatter greens where you can't even see the break, and it, it and you're like, oh, yeah. this is right edge, and, and then you miss it a ball right because it moves a little, and you, and that's what drives, you know, players nuts. Versus, you know, that yeah. that yeah. average player is just going to try and ram it in the back of the hole and probably makes it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no subtlety and green design is definitely something that I think that's why people love what Ben and Bill do. They they uh, they have kind of that character that you're you just described.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's um it, it's interesting. It'll it'll be interesting to see how how it continues to progress, but I, I think that that less is almost more in, in, in Greens. So um Jordan Spieth, overrated,
1: underrated Um Well, I don't I don't think he's overrated as a as a talent. I think he gets a lot out of his uh his ability. Um I, uh, so I, I, I think he's, uh, uh, he's a, he's a complicated individual, I think more, more so than people realize. And, uh, I, I, I don't know if he should be, if he should be trying to be calmer and quieter on the course, or if it'd be like Lee Trevino trying to shut him up and, and, and make him less funny and more serious if. If uh, if it would backfire in that sense as it would with Jordan, I think that he's uh, uh, I, I think he's an incredible talent and uh, it's amazing what he's doing right now with his putting really not being even close to what it was and, and looking so bad sometimes over the ball. I mean, I don't think people are giving him enough credit how good his ball striking has gotten. And, you know, you know how the game is. Of course, as soon as you, you work on that, you, you know, another part gets neglected. And I think that's what's happened with him a little bit. So uh, if the putting just comes back to being solid, doesn't even have to be what it was in 2015, I think he's uh, he's really, really going to uh, win a lot. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'd say underrated in the sense that I, I think he's underrated in, in how, uh, how many things he's doing well. Uh, I just, also, but I do wonder about the attitude If all that. I mean, this Fox picked up so much dialogue at Aaron Hills. My gosh, he talks a lot on the course. <laughs> he, he he puts so much energy into all this, this uh, immediate reactions to the shots and then the, and the play by play. And, and I, I, part of me thinks that's great. That's his nervous energy. That's how he functions. But part of me wonders, geez, over five and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, that's got to get exhausting.
0: It's it's interesting. It's I, I think it was either. Was it Phil that said you either have to be like incredibly intelligent or like extremely dumb to be really great at golf? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think he, uh, and that's, and, yeah. he's on the spectrum of incredibly intelligent and has, you know, is thinking about so many different levels of things that I would me and you would never even, you know, come across our mind. Versus you know a boo weekly, I mean talk about all time right contrasts and final pairings like you yeah. know um I think it, it, i i think he's i think he's underrated, you know I hear you hear people say like, oh, he got lucky to win that tournament like well like you know a certain to a certain degree like you can't get lucky and win like what has he won ten times now,
1: yeah, that's not luck,
0: yeah, that's, that's skill. So uh,
1: I think the the thing that's fascinating about him that's that fascinates us with a lot of these players like a Nicholas or Bobby Jones is that you're right they're they are very uh, thoughtful introspective they're noticing every little detail and uh, when you see somebody like that and you know golf uh, it's and Ben Crenshaw is the same way he notices every little thing about a golf course but they are able to uh, set aside whatever feelings they have about a course or the setup uh, or, or the weather or this or that, and ultimately just just try to get the job done. And yeah, he's had times where he's, I think lost a little of that just because he's, he's pressing. But I think ultimately we're fascinated by those players way more than the one who's and nothing against Dustin Johnson, but who just kind of quietly just goes and doesn't really uh, think too much. I mean we admire the way he, he, he handled Oakmont. But in terms of watching the sport, it's always been more interesting to study somebody who is thinking so much in a sport where you have so much time to think, but then is able to, to set things aside most of the time and, and, and play the shots no matter how they, how they feel about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think. Or the yeah. circumstances.
0: He he's uh I think if you were gonna say one player to move the needle in this post tiger generation, he's the only one that really could, you know.
1: Yeah. Right now he's the one that has a certain it factor that, that would be obviously no one's gonna I I don't think ever reach the level of Tiger in terms of being intriguing to general sports fans. He's just one of a kind. Somebody might come along, but I I do sense that Speeth has something that makes people well the numbers show it that makes people want to tune in and 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 watch him down the stretch that's that's different than uh take your pick uh any of the other top players
0: yeah um so uh we'll do uh one more here omar you're rusty as a pga pro
1: I don't know if he's underrated or overrated. I, I uh, you probably have noticed I did not uh, take on this vital topic. Uh, this is a, to me, a first world issue. I'm far more offended by people who played the tour for several years, regaining their amateur status, than a guy who played the tour uh, who has become a, uh, a sweater folder and uh, made his way into the PGA Championship. Where they still, where they they give twenty spots, twenty. Okay, it wasn't like he took. The, the lone spot. So <laughs> this controversy to me spoke to a certain kind of uh, really delusional, almost uh, sense of, of what the club pro uh, championship means to the PGA. Look, 19 other guys got in, calmed down, and I, that was kind of it for me. I'm Again, I'm much more bothered by somebody who made a lot of money on the tour and then is uh, going and competing as an amateur again. I, that doesn't sit as well yeah you know and I don't know if it sits well with anybody does it
0: well i was i was i was in the mid am last year and I'm looking down the field and I'm like Mike Muir didn't he play tour? i look it up he made like he almost yeah. made a million dollars playing on tour and he's now he's a yeah. mid i'm like how how am yeah. I and him at all in the same you know field here and you know yeah. you got guys like Jess Daly who you know you know played for you know 15 20 years on many tours i mean it, it to me and you know he got a, his tour card for a year or two it, it, it to me that is like the biggest i i don't understand how the usga deems them an amateur cuz they haven't played you know for professionally for 2 years you know
1: yeah yeah there are a lot of issues with amateur status right now and not to go down a rat hole but i i really think we're at a point that's very dangerous for amateur golf uh, the combination of um, the gobs of free equipment, the the uh, you know when I when I play, I had to actually cover my Pepperdine logo in a in a USGA qualifier a couple times, and and that was going too far, obviously. But this idea now, you have kids growing up with uh, with wearing all the corporate stuff and getting free equipment. I, I don't, you know, the concept of the amateur uh and i got why it was done it was to help people who who didn't have access versus those who did to great stuff and great equipment and it is vital in in the way the equipment uh, impacts the game now but i feel like it's undermining amateur golf in a way that's really really dangerous you know we have this walker cup in the u.s amateur coming up here in southern california i don't sense uh any enthusiasm for either one i don't think people even know what amateur golf means anymore so it's like oh okay it's like some you know college kids or what is it yeah you, know, you try to explain it to people and like, this is a u.s freaking amateur here come on this is a this used to be a big big deal and i i just don't know i think they went a little too far in in allowing uh the rules to bend and and then you throw in things like that reinstated amateurs which uh they're not Having the impact that they did early on, but it, it doesn't make you feel like the amateur game is as, as pure as it as it once was or should be. You know,
0: something that's really interesting is like how the USGA over the last year has it. It, it to me, it looks like they've prioritized. Hey, you know, we're we're kind of more backing professional golf than amateur golf. Um, you know, they eliminated the state team, um, which was a yeah. big mid-am event. Um, then they, they they cut one of the mid am spots, and and from what I've heard, they're going to cut a second mid the second mid am spot, and then they added another professional tournament. Uh,
1: I'm sorry, on the on the Walker Cup, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that, and I think that was a mistake though too. And that all David Faye said it best when it happened. He said it should have just been an unwritten rule. You're going to take two mid amateurs because there's going to be a year. And this year could even be the year <laughs> where you actually want to take three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know. The you know, way college golfers are turning pro, there are going to be years where you don't want to take any or you only take one. And to have made it this set number was – it almost was demeaning to the mid-amateur game to me that, that like, they needed this charitable mm-hmm. assistance. But anyway, go on. But then <laughs> – but then, so they eliminate the state team,
0: and then, you know, they yeah. – and the, And then they're eliminating these spots, so it's like you're killing the amateur, you know, like – because, you know, you're saying, hey, we're going to field a team of all future pros. And then they add, you know, they eliminate state team and add the U.S. Women's Senior Open, you know, another professional right. tournament. And to me, it's just like, I'm, you know, it leaves me scratching my head. It's like, you know, like, you know, what's the difference between the state team and, and which one actually moves the needle more, the senior women's
1: Open? Is there an audience for that? I don't think so. And especially with the age limit being 50. Um, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't think, I think that's too old. I think that, that really women, uh, mature faster and they, their, their careers peak accordingly and that it should have been 45 years old, but that's another story. Uh, it'll be at a great golf course. So there's that, but yeah, I, I'm, I, uh, I think that the USGA in general is, it has a, I mean, look, they made their first tee starter at the U S open as a long time golf pro and not to pick on him, but, Uh, If you told Frank Hannigan or or uh, some of PJ Bowright that they'd made the 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 first tee announcer's job a lifetime appointment to a longtime PGA pro and not a somebody who serves the game uh, as uh, in in the amateur game or has served the USGA, they just would they would just lose their minds. Like, what what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to be and and Frank always warned against this trying to be loved, and that's kind of what's happened. Uh, I'd also throw in. I'm not sure how the the four balls have really gone over very well yet so far. I, I don't I'm not sensing the time of year is working um and for for the people that they wanted to be uh playing in those events. Is that does that seem like a fair observation?
0: It is a it is a bad time of the year. Like you know, like for example, like I play my qualifier in like October, you know? And then the yeah. event is in, in and, and, End of uh, May, you know, it's like, yeah, you
1: know, I, I don't know. It, the date, it, the date seems to have been chosen to try to prevent college players, yeah, from being able to play in it. But then, instead of, yeah, what's the best date for for the majority? And I don't, I don't see how, as somebody who, you know that that they were hoping to get the person who's uh, plays, uh, a, a club club invitational's uh, with a partner. Uh, that, that that date works for them. I, I I don't see
0: it. Well, the other issue is that you just have these kids that will go qualify their college players if their team doesn't make it to the Nationals. They're, then they play the floor ball. you know? Right, right. So you, you haven't even yeah. protected that aspect of it, but... You know no. that, that's a uh, you know that's a whole bag of worms that about two thousand yeah, yeah. people in the in the world care about. So yeah, yeah,
1: we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but I think it is worth exploring because it uh, overall what it speaks to is you know the USGA is is uh, I'm not going to say they're in crisis, but they definitely have an identity issue that they're 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 obsessed with their brand and branding them, and that's why you see their logo everywhere. And and this is this is the problem. They want to be loved, and so if we get to get back to the ball issue, they um, they know that that won't go over well as does the RNA. If they do uh, try and introduce something, so that's that is a big issue going forward on whether we ever get something done because they will will they act in in, or not act out of fear of of being. Uh, vilified and hated for doing something and that's why i I, but that's why i'm encouraged by the variable distance ball concept that they floated because i think they found something which was kind of an argument a lot of us made all all along was if you tailor balls to certain architecture and courses nobody can can argue with that you know go go play your your uh, current ball at Aaron Hills. But if you want to play Pine Valley the way it was supposed to be designed, or you want to play Rancho Park uh, at 6,500 yards the way Lee Trevino played it uh, in in the uh, the 70s in the L.A. Open, and really, really get to to have a great, great, fun test of golf and hit some long irons and shape some shots, play the variable, the the 20% or the 10% reduced ball here. And... You'll you'll uh, you'll get your money's worth kind of thing. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see if they're able to sell it. Uh, that's that's going to be the key.
0: My, why doesn't a,
1: a company just start making them? Like
0: I, I don't know how big the market would be, but like I would for you, sure. You you have
1: I I'm I'm with you. I don't I, I and I back to soft spikes. I've never understood why somebody doesn't want to be the first to do. And, and again, it's all in the packaging, you know, it's, it's not going to, not going to taint. Um, I get, you know, maybe they look at things like Coke and classic Coke and, and think, you know, there's, there must be corporate business school stuff that's taught that, that they've, they've picked up because I just can't grasp why you wouldn't want to be the core, the ball that, that caters to somebody like you or, to uh, buddy Marucci's or of the world or uh, other uh, people who play great golf courses and who are good players. Uh, why you wouldn't, it, it just seems like an, a, a not a complicated thing to do to appeal to that group because they're tastemakers. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. These all, these old classic golf clubs can, can change things. And the soft spikes example is the perfect example of that, that, People are like, what are these stupid things that nobody's ever going go to go away from spikes? Uh, and these places mandated it. They changed them out. Soft spikes became a became a verb or a, a, a noun. Uh, I'm not sure what what, what would that be. What, it would be a uh, well, yeah, it's nice. like Xerox. Yeah. You know, it beca- instead of making photocopies, you 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 make a Xerox. And and um, so I'm not sure why a company doesn't want to be that one. I mean, Bridgestone, I believe, is the one that's made balls for the USGA that they've tested but they have yet to uh they've yet to come to market with this ball um and I think it's and it's hard to get a hold of them even uh, yeah I'm, I'm <laughs> like they're like they're asteroids you know and if you look at them too long you'll lose your eyesight or something give me a break
0: I, I'm looking at eBay right now you know I'm thinking about buying some tour balladas and and taking them out for a spin next time I play somewhere yeah you know
1: yeah, Good. I've got some. I was cleaning a closet here, and I got some professionals that I kept. Uh, I, 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 you know, now that was the ball where it kind of made a big, the first big leap. So, um, yeah. the, the, hey. they're not the, 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 the Torbalada would be the one, but I don't miss the days of those where you just breathe on them and you could you could you know cut them, but <laughs> blade, blade a wedge and and they're done. Oh, uh, the market, was, yeah, Cyanara.
0: The market for them's rough. It's like fifty-five bucks for a dozen. Unbelievable.
1: Ooh, ooh, <laughs>
0: you wow. know? Would, it, would it actually wow. you know so might have to go to some garage sales.
1: So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, you may have to stumble on them.
0: Now, now that we're talking about going to garage sales, uh, I think we've we've hit our time here. So, yep. hey, yep. I, I appreciate the uh, the time. And you got anything uh, exciting coming up?
1: Uh, I'm heading to uh, the UK for a few days at the Scottish Open and then the Open Championship, and uh, I'm going to go see the the new golf course at Turnberry and I'll probably play, uh, a, a, a late evening, a nine or 18 at Prestwick. So things are, things are good here. I'm looking forward. I've never been to Burkdale. I, I just started reading about it. I know very little. All I know is people love it. Uh, they don't really know why, but people just really respond to that course. So I'm very excited to see that as a, as a venue. I think it's, uh, it's, it should be a lot of fun and, uh, it's a wide open, open championship. So, yeah, uh, if you have any suggestions on other other courses around that area, uh, I'm all yours.
0: I've never been, but you know, I read a lot. Yeah, and, I mean, it's uh, it seems like there's uh, it's like the the best area in England for uh, for golf. You know, is that Berkshire yeah. area. Yeah, that,
1: so. that's the view, but right from so far from what I've seen, uh, that area is great. But it's still really hard to beat Scotland.
0: Uh, Just. Y- uh you should try and get out to yeah, the, that, like Swinley Forest and uh, and Elwoodley. Swinley, Swinley. Don't call it hey, Swinley. That hey. you'll,
1: you'll upset the members there. You won't get invited out. <laughs> I know.
0: I just walking. Swine. Uh, Pig. Yeah, yeah.
1: I. I uh, it's one area that I have uh, I have not been able to do in depth the uh, the Heathlands area. So um, it's definitely a priority. It's just that London this 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 year is just not a city that I want to get too close to yeah so uh
0: stay on the outskirts. anyway but i'm looking forward to the scottish find a find a find a farmhouse or something get out there and yeah get get out of the the hustle (laughs) and bustle you know absolutely all right well jeff thanks uh thanks so much and uh we'll uh we'll talk soon
1: all right thanks andy